Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Nicks? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. Welcome to it. How's it going? Happy Monday or whatever. Hope you're doing okay. Hope you had a good weekend. My weekend was, um, it was okay. You know, I, I got into, uh, I got into some very minor trouble with the police See, now that'd be a good tease, wouldn't it? So, like, if I just said that, like, I got into a little trouble with the police, I'll get to that in a few. You'd be like, oh, fuck. Don't be. It was stupid. But uh, Angelica Houston is on the show today. The Angelica Houston. She's in that big uh, John Wick movie that opens uh, this Friday, May 17th. I got to be honest with you, I haven't seen any of them. Is that too honest? But she's here. We're going to talk about that and talk about some other stuff, you know. I don't need to have seen the movie to talk about it. It was funny. I'll tell you a little inside baseball. You want a little inside baseball? I was at a hotel in New York. I was in New York last week, as uh, as some of you know, because I told you. And um, I was staying at a hotel. I stay at occasionally. And I was getting back to the hotel. It was late at night. And a wardrobe person, like a, a personal uh, stylist, I guess, Someone came came in with a rolling rack with uh, several boxes of shoes and what looked like uh, several uh, options in a garment bag hanging. You know, it, was, it looked like a production, a bit of a deal. But then I hear the guy go, uh, yeah, I'm going to take this up to uh, uh, Jason Manzukas's room. And I'm like, oh. And I... Uh, <laughs> And I, and I said, so Jason's here? He goes, yeah. And he, he told me he's a big fan of mine. I'm like, that's nice. I said, what's uh, what's going on? It's like, well, you know, the premiere for the John Wick movies tomorrow. And I'm like, oh, okay. So this is, he, here's the deal. You know, I don't, I don't know from personal stylists. I, I, I'm, a, I'm an idiot who buys one black suit and I've worn it like three or four times at any event that requires that. So apparently, you know, Jason, you know, he wanted to look sharp for the premiere. But that didn't stop me from texting him and saying, hope you can find a dress you like. That didn't stop me from doing that. Hey, Jason, I saw your stylist on his way up. I was just being a dick. But he went, ha-ha, and whatever one does on text. Anyway, I thought that was funny. That's all. I, I was very excited about that moment. Didn't hang out with him, though. And I don't know if he did find a dress he liked. And why is it funny? So what if he wants to wear a dress? He didn't. I got to make up for a couple of things, I think. First of all, okay, I get it. You schooled me. 
I was I had a blind spot or a blind side or a lack of or an ignorance of Maya Erskine's uh, dad, Peter Erskine. Thank you, drum nerds, jazz people. When I talked to her about him being in Steely Dan and I didn't really go off, on, I didn't, I clearly didn't know anything about the man. And he's one of the most important jazz drummers that has ever lived and continues to live. A lot of fusion stuff, but like just a tremendously respected, prolific jazz drummer. And I did not want to diminish that by my ignorance. So thank you, emailing people for educating me about Peter Erskine. But I do want to, uh, to pay my respect, not right, well, that's, he's not dead, but I just want to be respectful of Mr. Erskine in, uh, you know, after the fact here that uh, I, I may have seemed a bit dismissive, but um, mostly just ignorant, which is, I think, honest and uh, probably not as bad as dismissive. Just didn't know. Wasn't being condescending. Honestly, did not know. So there, okay? I cop to that. Also want to give everyone a heads up. I'm going to be in Seattle this Thursday night at the uh, the Seattle International Film Festival with uh, Sword of Trust. It's the opening night film. Uh, I believe that's Thursday night. I believe you can go to it if you're in Seattle. You can go to siff.net for more info. I will be there. Lynn Shelton will be there, the director. And it's a big deal. It's uh, I think it's the play seats like 3000 people. It's going to be very exciting to see it play in that big a room. I've never been to a premiere event of a movie that uh, that I, I'm in. And um, man, maybe I should hire a stylist. I'd like to hire a stylist in Seattle for my premiere. Could, could somebody uh, get come up to my room with a rolling rack of stuff that I could try and I'd like to be wearing a very nice dress on Thursday night. Is that okay? So, uh, yeah, let me know. Not really. I'm probably going to wear my black suit because I paid a lot of money for it or maybe my um, kind of uh, eggplant suit. I'm actually going to go dressed as an eggplant. It's unique. It's a unique look. But I do have an eggplant suit. Another thing, uh, Easy, the, the last, the third and final season of Joe Swanberg's Easy on Netflix uh, is up. And I got to be honest with you again, and you know that I'm not one to toot my own hornage. I'm not, I don't, I don't engage in tooting my own hornage. But uh, that episode that I did uh, this season, which is up now, episode six, you should watch the whole thing. But uh, it was, uh, it, it's, it's really, I'm very proud of it. It's some of the best work I've done. It's a, it's a very relevant um, situation. Uh, it involves me, uh, it's me and Jane Adams and Melanie Linsky. And it deals with sort of, uh, you know, the, the spectrum of toxic masculinity, which, uh, you know, I have clearly been in my life on the spectrum of toxic masculinity. And we kind of get into uh, a, a situation, and uh, I j- I'm just very proud of of the acting I did. I was I was very honored to work with Melanie and Jane. Me and Melanie have a, a, a very pr- a long scene together dealing with some shit, and I I just was um I'm I'm just 
I feel like it's really some of my best work. If and I don't, and I don't have a lot of work to show for myself in that world. But this was like a, it, it was a high point for me, and, and I'm glad it, it turned out so well. You don't really know when you're improvising anything, not unlike sort of trust, which it really is in the hands of the director. And both uh, you know Joe and Lynn are great, but Joe, like you know, was I don't know how you know, we had discussed the story. You know, we knew going in that we wanted like what we what were we going to do with that character jacob malco i don't know if you've seen uh all of the easies but but uh the arc of my character the graphic novelist jacob malco who's a very self-involved aggravated uh, person so right away i'm really kind of acting my balls off there i mean come on but uh you know where do you go with that in the third and final episode and i it was either a heart attack like a mortality thing or, or being confronted on something inappropriate. And how do you handle that so you can sort of stay within the character and within reality and something that can be sort of um, dealt with? And uh, it should all be dealt with. But I mean, how, how do we do a story? And I just think we really came upon something and, and just Joe's ability to, to shoot these things where you're just improvising these scenes and kind of edit in his head as he goes along uh, to create this final thing, it's kind of astounding. But but again, it, it's uh, it's easy. It's on Netflix. I am in episode six. Watch all of them. There's a lot of great people in it. But uh, I just wanted to give you a heads up. If you are a fan of me, I think it's me at my best. All right. Okay. That's all I'm trying to say. So I wanted to tell you about this uh, run-in I had with the police. It's always a bit intense, you know, when you have a run-in with the cops with the fuzz with the man i had a had a run in with the man i uh i was parked on a street it was a two way uh it was four lanes so there's two lanes on my side and uh there was a turning lane and then on the other side there was a turning lane then on the other side there were two lanes going the other way so in that moment when i was in my parking spot all the way to the right i uh i saw a window like there was there doesn't seem to be there didn't seem any I knew it was illegal, but I had plenty of room to make a U-turn. Plenty of room. And you know when you're just sitting there and you're like, I can do this, man. Am I going to go up to that light and take a right or, and then turn back around or go around the block? Or can I just wait for a break in traffic? Just find that window where you pull one of those big, massive across four lanes U-turns and just barely make it. And you're like, fuck yeah, man. I just saved myself some time and did something pretty fucking exciting. So uh, you know, I, I wait for my moment. And I'm like, I, I just start that U-turn across all four lanes. And literally, as I am at the center, like where, where, my, where my car is basically perpendicular to the street, in the turning lane, I don't know when he got there, but in the turning lane, probably 50 feet away from me, there was a just a motorcycle cop sitting there. And I believe that as I took that U-turn and I was like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to make it, right as I, I hit that that perpendicular point and I'm looking down the street to make sure I'm going to make it. I just see that guy. I see that cop and I'm like, that's a cop. And I am sure that he saw my face, see him just that, that moment where you're like, okay, just busted, just, but in just busted, just that sort of like, here we go. So I follow through with the U-turn and I, you know, I saw him go, turn around, lights on, pulls me over, and uh, you know, he comes up to the window, and I just look at him. I'm like, "Hey, officer, it's like license." I'm like, "Yeah, yep." 
here you go. There was nothing. What was I going to do? There was no way. There was no explaining. There was nothing. There was no excuse. There was nothing. But there was something about my face, I think, because he went back. He got my, I gave my license and my registration and my insurance. He comes back and he's like, okay, I am, uh, I'm, I'm going to give you a warning today. And I was like, well, thank you, officer. And, and it just, and then he explained to me, you know, the rules of U-turns. And I know he knew I knew. I know, I know he saw my face. He saw my face. Now, I don't know what makes a cop make a decision like that, you know, to give a warning. I was ready for a ticket. I deserved a fucking ticket. I knew I was doing something wrong. And I knew, you know, he caught me, you know, just in the middle of it. Saw my face. But maybe I'd like to think he knew I knew that I did something wrong and that maybe I shouldn't do that. And I will think twice before I do that again. Look, no one got hurt, but I surrendered right away, you know, and he... But what was weird is he cuffed me, and uh, no, he did not. But uh, but that was lucky. It was one of those, you know, it was a good day. It's a nice day when you get pulled over by the cops, and they let you go with nothing, nothing on your record. But I don't know why they decide that. I'm not, I, I, look, I'm happy he did. I guess they got bigger problems, but I think they have a quota. But I do think it was that moment. <laughs> they got to know when you... Like, just to see my face as a cop, as I'm in the middle of that U-turn, he was literally just sitting there watching me, just watching me do it, and saw my face at just that moment where I'm like, ugh, okay. All right, well, that's done. Oh, busted. Maybe maybe that was it. I don't know. I learned my lesson, okay? I'm just putting that out there to the LAPD. Not going to see me doing that those illegal U-turns across all the lanes. And I think I'm just going to share this conversation with you now. Uh, this is me. I, I love Angelica Houston. I think we had a pretty good talk. And, uh, you know, it's it's interesting. Yeah, I've been watching a lot of old movies lately. And I watched The Searchers again last night. But John Houston was, you know, these, are, these were important people. And, you know, she's done a lot of great work. And to come from a family like that, her grandfather, I, and, you know, and then being with Jack Nicholson all those years and them working together. And she's just an interesting actress, interesting person, interesting family. And it's, it was daunting. But, you know, you, you, you get into it and you see where you can go. Uh, this is me talking to Angelica Houston, whose new film, John Wick 3, opens uh, this Friday. May 17th. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school, or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature, and now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades, or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Foxed Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts i just went to i was just came back from ireland i'm still actually a little jet lagged where were you dublin i was there i did a uh, stand-up show 
at uh, Vicker Street, which is a nice venue. Great. Have you been there? Yeah. Yeah, and um, I love it there. It's Dublin's the best city. The whole country, I, I fucking love it. it. No, it's a brilliant country. Fantastic people. Yeah. Um, great music. Incredible hospitality. Yeah, they're just so like they're, and I like the whole sort of attitude of like uh, it's just sort of there's a mild kind of um, existential. Uh, you know they, you know they're not going to blow smoke up your ass, but they're not going to be unpleasant. That's right. <laughs> And um, yeah. there's a kind of overall feeling of um, sort of, a, it's a sanguine country. It's been through so much. Right. And, um, you know, everything is sort of accepted. Yeah. Even even things that cause tremendous pain um, are somehow incorporated, as you say, into the psyche in, in a not entirely negative way. Yeah, there's just something resigned about it. They're, yeah. They're, you know, like, I, yeah. like we, you know, we give up, but we're still going. You know, I, I was having a lot of those early Irish feelings uh-huh. last night as I was watching Notre Dame oh, in flames. Yeah. And on one side, you think, oh, my God, this is where James V got married yeah. in the 11th century. This is this place has survived two massive world wars. Napoleon was had his coronation there. It's been burned. It's seen revolution. It's seen the plague. Yeah. And yet it rises like a phoenix from the ashes. Very appropriate that it's the Pentecost and yeah. it's it's Easter because it sort of symbolizes to me in some way it's it's an extremely important and moving moment as a, in a positive way as well as a, a completely way. heartbreaking way well it didn't yeah. i there there seems to be enough there left to to rebuild oh and always and <laughs> and that's what faith is all about right kind of yeah for sure yeah you can't burn it all down that's right it can get sad but not all it's not all gone exactly and i think that's a very it's sort of that that reminds me of the irish spirit yeah you can starve us our women can die you know in the fields with grass stains on their sure. mouths but we'll be back yeah and we'll take New York. <laughs> and Boston. And Boston. And, and the entire United States. Exactly. The number of, I, well, that was the weird thing that I experienced when I was there is that, because I spent a lot of time in Boston, right? And the Boston Irish are their whole, that's their own thing. And they're tough and they're a little intimidating and they're scary and they're not to be fucked with. Right. And I, when all the years I was living there, I had a a slight complex about it. Just don't fuck with them. And they scared me. And then the first time I went to Ireland, they all look about the same, the people. Yeah. But there they're polite and nice and not intimidating (laughs) at all. Like at first I was like, oh my God, there's so many of them. They're going to be hating on me. And no, very sweet. No, no, very different. And I went to Glendalock. So beautiful. Right? Oh, it's fantastic. That was the thing I couldn't understand, like, uh, was sort of like, there is this sort of dark disposition, but the whole fucking country is stunning. It's so beautiful. It's so visually beautiful. I think maybe that's the reason that Ireland doesn't have many great painters. I mean, it has William Butler Yeats, but- Poets, yeah, sure. Poets up the gazoo, but- 
they have so much in the visual department. I don't think they had to recreate it. Too right? Much, how you know? gonna How you gonna do it justice? Exactly. But yeah, but to count like I, I just thought, thank God, it's so beautiful. Because if it was in any way not beautiful, that the whole the, the the people would be sunk. Exactly. <laughs> you know, at least they can walk out and be like, oh, look at this. Exactly. So, my, my father was like that in Ireland. You oh, know? really? We, yeah, we used to go on day trips to County Mayo and Donegal and stuff, and and we'd have usually a carload of American tourists, friends of his in the uh-huh. car, and he'd gesture out at the landscape and say, isn't it beautiful? You know, like <laughs> it was his. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been uh, going there your whole life? My, I grew up there. From the age of two till I was 11 and went to school in England after that. But I went to the nuns for a while. I was In Ireland. Yeah, I, uh-huh. I was a day girl. I wasn't a boarder. Right. But So yeah. is Houston a, a clan name? Is it an Irish? No, it's a Scottish name. Um, there's a Houston castle in Scotland. And original, originally we're proddies. We're... we're uh, Scots Irish, yeah. Northern Irish. Mm-hmm. So um, the fact that I grew up in Catholic West of Ireland is, you know, a, a sort of ha- a, a happy sin? mistake. Oh yeah. Uh, so your dad always felt a connection to it, like you, you know. Uh, I mean, that's a long time to live there. So you lived, you lived there. You had a place there for nine, ten years, or I think in the aftermath of the witch hunts here in um, America. The McCarthy time? The McCarthy time. My father uh, stood on the committee for the First Amendment, um, which was basically that, you know, no one could... Fuck with him. Fuck with him. Yeah. Um, And, um, but having done so, you know, and and having experienced sort of the worst of um, the American spirit at the time, bigotry and... um, so forth. He decided he didn't want to be in America and took his wife and children to France for a while while he made a movie called Moulin Rouge. And then um, he was invited on a fox hunting trip to Ireland, yeah. uh, to County um, Wicklow. And having gone and had the time of his life, he decided that's where we should live and um, consequently bought a house there. And that's how it all happened. And was your grandfather still alive? Um, no, he wasn't. I never knew my grandfather. Yeah. He died a year before I was born. Did you grow up seeing, knowing about your grandfather, obviously? I did, yes. I, I knew him mostly um, from a, a very tattered copy of Treasure of Sierra Madre that used to be put through the home projector um, three to four times a year when I was growing up. And that's who I thought my grandfather was until- That guy? Yeah. That's funny. Until later I was in New York when I started modeling. I was about 21 when I first saw Doddsworth, where uh-huh. he played, you know, the exact opposite of the character in, in right. Treasure, and I realized, ah, oh, my my grandpa was an actor, <laughs> right? He, he could be a lot of people. He could. I it's just I can't like. So are you there? How many? You have an older sibling. I have an older brother, and Tony. He's, Tony, and he's also in show business. No, he's not. He 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 screen wrote um, for a short while. He did the screenplay for The Dead. The was my dad's right. last film yeah. uh, that we all did together. But he lives in New Mexico and flies hawks. I grew up in New Mexico. Did you? Yeah. Where? Where does he live? Um, in uh, Taos. Oh, that's nice. He's a hawk guy? 
He's a hot guy. He's been a hot guy since he was 13. He just, like, you know, he, he holds his arm out and they come? Oh, yeah, that kind all of, of that. Yeah, he's, he's, I say he studied. He was very good friends with um, one of the legendary Hawkmen who was, um, uh, lived in uh, the west of Ireland, a well, man called Ronald Stevens. Interesting. And, yeah, if you look up, uh, you know, Hawk lore, Ronald Stevens yeah. is one of the great heroes. And, and he decided that's why he, how do you do, how do you make that your life exactly? I don't know, but Tony was <laughs> he was eccentric then, and I, I believe he's eccentric now. I haven't seen him in a number of years. And then you have a younger brother who's an actor? Uh, yeah, my younger brother, Danny. Yeah. Uh, we have different mothers, but we're very close. And then there's another one? And then there's my sister, Allegra. Okay. And then there's a, is there a, ne- a nephew who's an actor now as yes, well? Yes, Jack. It's amazing. I know we keep going on with it, um, and there's there's a whole new batch of little nieces for me, great nieces and nephews. But I can see the I can see the ones that have the bug. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you do you think there is some sort of uh, genetic um, a- a- adaptiveness to being on? Do you think some people belong on screen? I do. You do, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I kind of think so as well. Some people really enjoy it. Other people just don't have the the taste for it. Well, they just fit on there. Like, there's plenty of actors that can do acting, it's but there true. are certain people that like they just they, they 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 belong in movies. It's true, and and also I think partly it has something to do with character because I remember on quite a few occasions people telling me how I really didn't have a face for for film. Uh, that's not a nice thing. It's not. You no. know, it's depressing. And you go, <laughs> yeah. well, why not? And they say, well, your eyes are too close together or what? your nose is too big. And you go, well, that's okay, but it, it's really the only thing that I want to do with my life. You can't. You can't turn me away from that door. I mean, what does that even mean, though? There's like you know, it's all completely kinds of... meaningless, and it, also, and it's also mean, and also it's like because you're a woman. I think so, and I, I, you know, to a degree. But people love to tell you what you can do and you can't do, don't you think? Uh, I, I I tell them to fuck off mostly. <laughs> you know, I mean, throughout my life, I, I you know, I've sort of managed to find my way. I'm not sure how, but I know that it's in my house. <laughs> Yeah, and, and that I, uh, you know, I because of this, I, I'm able to do other things like act and you know do yeah. So I came. It was a different journey. People, most of the time, people would say to me like, "We don't know what to do with you. Not you can't do." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the problem is often having to prove it. You know, yeah, because it's that's just their suspicion that you can't do it. You know, you can do it, right? And but coming from your family, that must have been even worse to be like a, a Houston. Well, to a degree, yes, and to a degree, no. You know, my problem was that I didn't want free handouts from my family. Right. That was a bit of a drawback (laughs) since basically it's a business that depends completely on on nepotism, nepotism, whether or not, you know. You want it or not. They're going to know that too, though. Exactly. I mean, it doesn't have to be a handout. They're going to know who you are. They're not going to want to piss you off and make your dad pissed off or however it works. However it works. But when he came along to me with a movie when I was like 16 years old and it wasn't a script that I really loved that much. Yeah. I thought I, I, I or at least I had the confidence to say to him 
Dad, I don't think this is for me. What movie was that? I didn't quite say it that way. Yeah, I, just, I went into a sulk. <laughs> but uh, it was a movie called A Walk with Love and Death, and I, I thought it was corny then, and I think it's pretty corny now. But he was determined that this was going to be his sort of offering to me. And How old were you? 16. And what was the part? It was the part of Lady Claudia of Saint-Jean, who, uh-huh. um, a, a nobleman's daughter who um, is rescued by a young student, Heron of Foix. Don't, aren't, you, aren't you impressed yeah. that I remember all of this? I, I was surprised that you knew all the history of Notre Dame. That, um, like, I, I, you know, I was just listening, playing along, but like, do, do you have seem to be kind of a history person. Um, I do like history, and I grew up in Europe, so you know, I have a different kind of history. Yeah. Don't ask me about Union and Confederate right. and all of that. Right, but you know the French stuff. I do. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you did the role, obviously. I did the role. It was not a happy moment for either my father or myself. We didn't speak for a while, and then really not on not set really. or after. Um, on set or 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 outside. <laughs> really? No. I, I. It was. It was very difficult. And had you I, done any acting? Um, I in mean, school. Okay. Um, but no, not, yeah. not of any consequence. And then, um, and then I went back to London. It, the The movie was supposed to have taken place, or at least we were supposed to shoot it in France, uh-huh. but we weren't able to because it was 1969. It was the student revolution, and nothing could be done in France. So we shot it in Vienna. And when I got back to England um, after that. Um, my mother died in a car crash, Ugh. and my life completely upended, and I went to America. Were they married at the time? They were married, but they didn't live together. That's horrible. And you were like 16 or 17? Yeah. That's devastating. So, and then you, and, and then you didn't talk to your father for a while? Um, it wasn't that I didn't talk to him so much as I avoided him for a while. Yeah, just because... Because he he he'd been quite critical of me, and I've never taken well to that. Yeah, you know, I I like advice more than criticism. And it's tough when it comes from your old man, I guess. Yeah, for sure. And and sometimes he was a little heavy-handed. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll I admit can, it. I imagine, but he was like, I can't. But he was such a. I mean, just growing up with that in your life in general, he seemed to be of that generation of sort of kind of like. Um, swashbuckling adventurers. Also, you know, these were the guys that won the war. Yeah. Let's not forget. Right. And he was, yeah, he was definitely... Um, like Hemingway-esque, going to bullfights, People fights, say Hemingway-esque, but I call Hemingway-Houston-esque. Yeah, there um, you go. You, were you they know, friends? They were. Yeah. Yeah. Um, although I never met Hemingway. Mm. I met John Steinbeck. Oh, yeah? Yeah. John came to St. Clarence, our house in Ireland, um, for two years running at Christmas. He played Santa Claus. Oh. He, he was the greatest, <laughs> nicest man. I really loved him very much, and he treated me like an equal. And it was people like he um, who kind of set me up. Okay, so when you came to the States, you were just on your own? Who'd you stay with? Um, I stayed with my best friend from when I was six years old. John Buck, the writer, uh-huh. John Gilliatt. Out here? in No, in New York. That must have been like New York at a very exciting time. Decadent, weird. 
decadent and weird, and she introduced me to downtown and Andy Warhol and all of those people in the factory. And you went over there. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I I I I went to Max's Kansas City. I was I was pretty young for the whole scene, but what was it like seventies, early seventies? Yeah, yeah, and um. I, yeah, it was great. I I started modeling. I worked a lot with Richard Avedon, which is like starting at the top. So I had, you know, yeah. no further upwards to go in 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 that respect. But um, I spent about four years modeling in New York. Avedon, he's great. He's great. The best. Yeah, and what like what, like okay, so you'd been directed by your father in a movie, and then that didn't go well in your mind, and now you're being you know sort of shot by Richard Avedon. What makes it like outside of printing? What makes a, like that relationship so good? I mean, if you spent a lot of time you know, being shot by him, how does like why you know. I don't like some people are just great at things, but there's part of you that it's sort of like he's just taking pictures. Well, not for me, because Avedon had been a friend of my parents, particularly my mother's. Mm. And we'd done some test pictures in London before my mom died and before I came to America. And he told me he was one of the people who told me that, you know, he said, I I know you want to be a model, but it's not going to happen. Your shoulders are too wide. Oh, another one with that. But then, you know, the 70s came along with shoulders, huge shoulders. Everyone looked like a linebacker. So Cosmic timing. That was okay for me. You did it. You didn't even need the shoulder pads. Is that what the deal? <laughs> exactly. These jackets are perfect. My shoulders were bigger than the shoulder pads. So you modeled for four years, and then, like, when did you get back to acting? Um, I... Well, I'd, I'd come to America yeah. ostensibly in in a production of Hamlet that Tony Richardson was directing. Oh, yeah. Uh, with Nicole Williamson and, and Marianne Faithful had uh, been playing Ophelia in, in the London production. I thought, well, maybe I'll get the part, but I didn't. Francesca do you know her? Annas. Yeah, I do. Is she all right? How's she doing? I think she's okay. She's had a moment. Yeah. She's in the hospital in Dublin now. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. But oh. I, I hear she's being well looked after, but she's had a problem with her shoulders. So, Yeah, she's been through a lot. Yeah, she has. She was uh, always a brave girl, always a, a, at the forefront. Yeah, I used to see her. Like, I worked at, like, I didn't know it was her for years, but I worked at a coffee shop in Harvard Square, like, in the, when was that, like, late 80s. And I think she was out at McLean's at the hospital and she used to come in and she just was like, you know, tough and beat up and just drinking coffee and smoking those cigarettes. But she like puts out a record. She put out a record a few years ago. It was great. Amazing. I just heard a a new release by her that's really fantastic Uh, that she did with Hal Wilner. Um, She's... She's amazing. She's a phoenix. Too. Yeah, no yeah. kidding. Yeah. Several times. Several times. <laughs> yeah. All right. So you, you're you're hearing that you're doing Hamlet. Um. So I was doing Hamlet yeah. while I was while I was modeling, and um. Then after that, you know, I, I nobody was beating my door down um to act. But and um, you're in New York. I'm in New York, yeah. and I had a boyfriend who was also a photographer, but uh. A difficult person mm. leading a difficult life, and um, his name was Bob Richardson. He was very brilliant, but very tortured. Yeah. So, and we went on a holiday to Mexico, and um, we parted at the airport in Los Angeles on the way back, and 
That was I, it? I Yeah, that was it. I didn't go back to New York. Really? It was that, that dramatic? Yeah. You're like, nope, send yeah. my stuff, fuck it. I didn't even say send my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> good relationship, huh? Yeah, well, <laughs> wound up not so good. Yeah. But the, 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 there were brilliant elements to him, but he was not a... He was not a happy man. Mm. Yeah, I, I uh, yeah. And when that wins out, it's hard to live with after a certain point. Yeah, definitely. It's, Especially when you come into the line of fire. You know, it's one right. thing if people are self punishing, but it's when, very hard to be around when they start when this when they they've filled up with the self punishing and then they're going to punish you. Exactly, it overlaps. Oh my god! Yeah, it's terrible. It's yeah. draining, and yeah. you know, good. Glad you got out. Me too. Thank do you, you. Do you look at those moments where you know, just by circumstance, do you look at that and think like, well, if it hadn't been for that horrible thing, I don't know if I would have come to L.A. at that moment or whatever would have happened at all. Definitely. Although I don't know, there was always something about L.A that attracted me even when I was young people who came from LA were kind of better looking and um, I don't know Americans were a, a very attractive people when I was growing up so you really they had you, good teeth for a start well that's for sure yeah you, in, in over there there's their teeth are not uh -uh. Uh, uh, premium teeth. No. And, and you, <laughs> Something about Americans, they always had a bit of a tan. Their hair was a little blonder. The, so you really didn't identify as an American for m m the first part of your life? No. My parents were American, and, and they had accents, yeah. and they sounded American. But um, to all extents and purposes, I wanted to be like the rest of the little Irish kids. Yeah. And did you did you have an Irish accent? Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. I guess you would. Yeah. Why not? But I mean, there must have been some part of you when you got to L.A. that realized that, you know, your dad was at one time the king of that town. Yes, definitely. But he was also the king of our town in Ireland. <laughs> He's just a king I, wherever he goes. Yeah. When I took uh, Jack Nicholson there sometime in the, in the 80s. To Ireland? Yeah, to Ireland. We got off the plane in Shannon and... And uh, there was a, a chauffeur standing there with a car, and he opened the door, and he said, Welcome to John Houston country. And I thought, that's good. I could have paid that guy. <laughs> so when, when, you get, when you got to L.A., what was the first sort of like, how did you start? What did you do? I was staying with my father, who'd recently um, back. married again. Okay. This um, is a third one or second? This was his fifth wife, actually. <laughs> oh, my God. He never divorced my mother. She was his fourth wife. But um, uh, Cece, Celeste Chain, was his fifth wife. Um, I got on really well with her. She yeah. was sympathetic, um, even though uh, St. Clarence was sold soon after I never really blamed her for it. It was the end of an era. What the house in Ireland? The house in Ireland. Uh -huh. It broke my heart. Oh, that's um, rough. When it went, I, I'm a sentimentalist. I, and I'm a Cancerian, and we hold on to things, you know, with a grip of steel, like yeah. little crabs on a rock. Anyway, Ireland. Yeah. Uh, Ireland had to go, or at least St. Clarence had to go, and um. And I started to hang out with Cece. My dad went off to make men who would be king in Morocco, and she showed me L.A. She, um, she took me to the hot spots, and we went shopping. So this is still the seventies, right? This is still the seventy, early seventies. So, oh, so it's like crazy here too. 
Yeah, well, I don't know that it was crazy. There was the Daisy, and there were kind of nice places to go and good music to hear. And um, I guess it I, I guess it was a well, little crazy. It's not like New York because everything's out in the street in New York. Like, right. right. So like you can feel it all over the place. Here exactly. you got to drive to someone's house to feel it. And also <laughs> you have to know the house. Right? Exactly. You have to know the people. Right. It takes a while to get inside. But LA. like the strip was still like kind of like wild. Yeah, there was the and, Rainbow and the Roxy right. and um, Lou Adler and yeah. Elmer Valentine were kind of running the strip and the uh, Tropicana Hotel with Duke's Coffee Shop. That's right. The greatest. I yeah. loved. I loved the Tropicana. The it Comedy was, Store was just opened. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like, yeah. Yeah. I kind of like. I like. I t- when I talk to people who were around for that, I've talked to a few that kind of, like Ed Begley Jr. Some people that there's some part of me that believes that the business was a smaller community then. It was a smaller community then, and a lot more trustworthy. Yeah. And trustworthy how. Just like you know, these mind peop- your business, mind your business, and these people <laughs> were your buddies, and this, right. and you know, things went on in people's houses, as you said. It's mm-hmm. absolutely true that that L.A. was an interior life. It's funny because you think of it as such a sunny exterior right. place, but yeah. in actual fact. The whole um, zeitgeist was, yeah. was on the inside and sure. who you knew and whose house you were going to. Yeah. We used to go to um, a little club called On the Rocks, Above the Roxy, mm-hmm. that Lou had, and it was it was a great time. Yeah. It was all pals, and yeah. everything was cool and confidential. And sure. And everyone was doing blow. Everyone was doing blow, <laughs> which was, I think, you know, it had its moment. Sure. A lot of talking. Yeah. A lot of talking, a lot of unnecessary staying up way too late. Yeah. I'm so glad that's out of my particular orbit. Oh, come on. We can't. It was so, it yeah. was so, such a dreadful, destructive it's, drug. Yeah. It was exhausting and it made people crazy. Stupid. Cost so much money. Yeah. And they like, there was no, there, you know, it never ended well. No. There was no didn't. coming down in a nice way. The only way was to, to get off that stuff and stay off it. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, once you get away from it, like, I can't imagine. I've been sober a long time, but like, but there's something about that, like when it when you're in it and someone's got it, and you're oh, like, yeah. oh fuck yeah! I'm like, what are you what what are you celebrating? We're going to be up for three days. Yeah, I don't like that guy. And Speaking now he, gibberish. Yeah, to people that we don't really necessarily want to know or like. Oh, I know, stupid. And that was the entire '70s, I guess, and the '80s. It was the '80s for me. Yeah, yeah. But I came away with some really tight friendships. I have to say. Oh yeah. From my early days in LA. Those friends that I make are still my friends. Yeah. We still hang out. We still, you know, cleave to each other, shall I say. And you have good good, good memories, bad memories, but you're all alive. It exactly. gets to a certain point. It's like we're still here. Well, those of us who are alive are right. still alive. Yeah. A, a few didn't make the grade, I'm afraid. Of course. Yeah. So, okay, so you're running around, you're, you're digging in. So what, how do you start pursuing the, um, the acting? Well... I always had a taste for it, yeah. you know, so yeah. it was kind of in the background, and I'd had success as a model, so um, I knew I knew that I knew something, yeah, and I'd learned quite a lot. I, I'd I'd learned about how light works yeah. and 
what to provide for a photographer if you were doing a fashion shoot, mm-hmm. how to make a picture, yeah. um, how to apply makeup. Yeah. S- sounds trivial, but it served me well. Yeah. Um, and um, at a certain point, I think, you know, I must have said, I met Jack Nicholson at a party at, at his house, a, a birthday party. I the same house? Is he still in the same house? Same house. Hasn't changed. Um, and <laughs> you were we like started what? to see each other. How old were you? Um, I was maybe 20. Uh-huh. 20, 21. Yeah. And... Um, and I met him, and it was a, a immediate attraction. And we were together for you know, kind of on and off for about seventeen years. After that, that's so long. It was very long, but you know, we we yeah on carved up our time a little bit. <laughs> yeah, are you still in touch? Yeah. How is he? He's okay. I miss seeing him in public. I know. Um, but I, I guess he's older. I yeah, and also I think. You know, that's up to him. He, sure. When he wants to share himself and when he doesn't. And and frankly, you know, it's a bit of a drain on him. Yeah. People don't leave Jack alone. They, they right. love Jack. They right. want to eat Jack for lunch. Everybody you know? loves Jack. Yeah. It's just like, from, like it, it, you know, what? It, it made me realize I'm getting old where, like, he's not sitting up front at the Oscars anymore. And I'm like, well, what's the point of watching? Where are those guys? You know, but they're just, they're I old. I kind of agree with you. Yeah, they're old. We're old. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, like, it's funny about old, isn't it? It's always yeah. there getting old. But until yeah. you look in the mirror. That's right. Yeah. But, um, yeah, now it's other people. Yeah. And yeah. we have to learn to love them as much as we loved our generation. I guess, but it, like it's still for me. It's uh, you know I'm nostalgia, so like it's I'm 55. But for me, like for for some reason, because of the small community feeling that like you know like there was a time when I was growing up and watching people of his generation, whether they were comics or whatever, and you really got the sense that they weren't all necessarily friends, but they certainly all knew each other. Definitely. And and that, you know, there was a, some sort of continuity to it. There was a specialness to it. You were right. And now it's like, it's, it's not You're that. You're right. And, and, and then there was the glue, and the directors were the glue. You know, there was Hal Ashby, there was Polanski, there yeah. was Bertolucci, there was Michelangelo Antonioni, very big... Um, influence of European influence and yeah we all used to go to Cannes together and sit on juries and talk about films and there was a great passion for there was an intellectual approach to it absolutely you know and I remember those being some of the most exciting wonderful times of my life were you know after the jury had gone home and and you'd seen the the movie of the evening at at Cannes and going to Jeremy Thomas's suite at the Carlton Hotel and yeah. and talking about it and talking about the movies and getting passionate about them the critic well, who is Jeremy uh, Thomas? Jeremy Thomas is, he's a British producer oh, okay. responsible for practically every great English oh, film right. you've seen since the 60s. And there was that sort of passion. There was sort of that uh, an intellectual passion. Absolutely. And, and yeah. I learned uh, so much. I was, I was on um, Bernardo Bertolucci's jury in Cannes at one point. This was quite a good deal later. That was sometime in the maybe late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. But realizing how movies had political import mm-hmm. and how um 
how that worked, you know, yeah. how people in different countries were making movies that were speaking for the people, speaking for the countries. Interesting, yeah. Um, uh, so it was a revelation to me. Yeah. Cause, yeah, because you had to go to the movies. There was, it, 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 the movies had a special place exactly. in culture. That's right. And, and now it's all sort of dissolved a bit. I mean, obviously they still do, but it, you know, uh, sadly, the, the biggest movies are superhero movies. Those are the ones that people go to theaters to see. Every other one, they're just going to sit at home and watch. It's true. Right? It's true. I can't. I, I, it must have been an amazing time. Do you, and you knew Ashby, and you knew all those cats. I knew and loved Hal Ashby. He um, was a real, a really special director. That fantastic guy. director and a really special friend. Yeah. And one of the people who, because it was a, a very heady time, particularly for Jack, who was enjoying all kinds of sort of unmitigated success. It was hard for me often because I was. I felt there, right. that I was an adjunct and that I was a little bit, you know, uh, not exactly a sidekick, but but um, uh, not that important in the big scheme of things. But people like Hal and, well, I'll, I won't even say people like Hal. Yeah. Hal himself was particularly kind to me and always spoke to me about the fact that I wanted to act and you know what was it about that that attracted me mm -hmm. you know he had a real interest he wasn't just a, a sort of right right yeah you dick. <laughs> right <laughs> those guys those sort of the you know the 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 big guys of that time do they all have very specific styles like what Ilya was you know because I know I've talked to a couple a few directors some directors are very hands-off but I feel like somebody like your father was probably all over everybody um well if he didn't like what you were doing he was all, all over right. you. if he liked what he what you were up to he'd leave you well enough alone yeah but my father had a way of coming in and saying just the right thing oh yeah um and if an actor you know, was talented and interpretive. Yeah, like Bill Hickey when he said to him, oh, "Hickey was you're okay. playing a reptile." <laughs> Hickey got Connor? it. Yeah, uh, and that first that first uh, image of Bill Hickey in the yeah, church, talking like that, like that, yeah. and uh, and Bill Hickey's kind of half asleep during the during the wedding right, right. at the yeah, beginning yeah, yeah. of uh, of of Pritzi's and he opens his eyes suddenly like a lizard you know and shuts them again and that was the direction yeah um <laughs> and he directed him in wise blood too right he was in wise blood yeah as he a young fell in man. love with him on wise blood he just thought bill was great it's weird because he's not one of those guys you see a lot but you know he was a a, a very prominent teacher right in new york forever yeah i audited his class once it when, was crazy yeah yeah, yeah. He he had this cigarette that just used to burn out all the way to his lips. And yeah, you'd watch that ash drop onto his <laughs> yeah, lap. Yeah, you know. <laughs> but he was he was unique. So you were studying a little bit when you were in New York before you came. Oh out here. yeah, I've I had um, I, I also a very good relationship with a teacher here, a fantastic teacher who changed my life, uh, called Peggy Fury, uh -huh. and um, she was. She was great. She was gave me all kinds of confidence and, yeah, really changed my whole game. And you were like, but and you were also, you know, with Jack during all the he he did a lot of big movies during your time with him on yeah. and off. 
And did was he at all like? Because I know he. Who was his teacher that he used to talk about a lot? Sandy Meisner. Oh, it was I know, Meisner. I know Meisner was big. He he had a whole bunch of people he'd worked with. Yeah. Um, but I think Sandy Meisner had made a, a big difference for him. Because I remember the movie that you got like in in Preetzi's honor. Like I remember for me watching it when I was younger, a kid. I was like, it felt like the first time that he. You know, created a character that was so not him, right. <laughs> <laughs> and you know it was yeah. sort of daunting at first. But like he was doing the work, yeah, and it worked out. I think so. And also, I think initially he was really, you know, he was a bit afraid of that movie because Dad was asking him to to play dumb, right? And initially, I don't think. Jack had understood that it was a comedy, really, until he went out to talk to my dad about it. My dad was living out uh, on a stretch of deserted <laughs> coastline past Puerto Vallarta in, <laughs> in, in southern Mexico. And, and um, Well, who does that? It just went... Nobody does that. All right. Okay. <laughs> and yeah. Jack went out to see him, you know, under sort of heavy pressure yeah. from the producer John Foreman I refused to go because I knew it would be like hell on me so I just opted out of the whole thing yeah. and, and Foreman is saying come on you want to do this movie don't you yeah. because he'd sort of set me up to to read the book and and uh, to get excited about the part of Mayrose yeah. and then he'd said well how about your dad to direct and Jack to star and I went oh, oh no no <laughs> save me God uh, but it happened in them. the end I know both of them um, but they they loved each other um, yeah and next thing we were in New York and um, and dad I don't know we had several read throughs and and dad would close his eyes and I could see he wasn't completely happy and he had a full cast with at Jack. that point. No, it was thrilled oh, with general. Jack. Jack yeah. could do no wrong. Right. Um but it, in general I could tell there was something sort of vaguely troubling him and yeah. then and then one day kind of very early on in the production um dad called us and we were at the Carlisle Hotel and he said, "Kids, I want to come over." And and he came over and it was night and there were picture windows looking out over Central Park, one yeah. of those beautiful New York evenings. And and Dad put his arms around Jack and I and said, kids, isn't that the most beautiful thing you've ever seen? And we said, yes, yes, Dad, it's so beautiful. And yeah. he said, I found the voice of the movie. <laughs> and he had a tape recorder <laughs> with him. And he, he pressed a button, and it was this actress, Julia Bavasso's voice. Uh-huh. And she's all the way like this, you yeah. know? <laughs> we, look at, we look at Dad like, are you out of your mind? He said, I want everyone to speak this language. <laughs> and that was the, that was the beginning of Preetzies. And it was before, you know, Moonstruck or Goodfellas sure. or any of those right. pictures. So with that kind of New York gangster. that kind gangster. of New York gangsters thing. And, and you know, I could tell Jack was... <laughs> <laughs> he was a little trepidatious, but we all we went ahead and we did it, and, uh, and it got done. And it, it's so funny that film. It's Still, great. It's really funny. Yeah, I, I want to watch it again. Yeah, I, but you did it like you were in the Postman with the Rafelson movie. Yeah, that was like f- second up after uh, 
the last tycoon. What's what's that guy? Is he still around? I haven't seen him in uh, quite some time. He lives in Aspen. Oh, okay. So that was like his movie after the '60s movies, like he, Five Easy Pieces. Yeah, yeah. Like that. This was a big. It was a remake, and it, it was a good movie. I remember. Yeah. Yeah, it was a John Garfield movie originally. And, yeah. Yeah. Well, I and I can't remember how. Did you have a big part in that? No, I played a lion tamer. Oh. Um, for a short <laughs> while, I was in I was in bed with Jack, and it yeah. was kind of weird because I I was naked to the waist and a bit insecure. Yeah. But it was all it was good. It yeah. was fine. I remember you pop up in Spinal Tap with I the did. Stonehenge model. Yeah. You were the one where they're like, "What is that?" Like, That's right. And you you're the one who just shows him the measurements on the page. Yeah, two that was inches. fun. Right? That was very fun. Yeah. And then like uh, so I and like Gardens of Stone. That was a weird movie, huh? It was such a weird movie, and it started off kind of wonderfully and beautifully, and um, and with with Francis, but it, with like Francis, I feel like it was the first, like you know, and I don't know if it's true, but they, it, I remember seeing it, and it, it seemed like it was the arc of like you know the beginning of like medicated Francis, like, and I don't know if I'm projecting that that like it seemed like the the edge had diminished a little. Well. Initially, I think he wanted to make sort of a movie that that was the antithesis of Apocalypse, and um, and I think you know whatever his impulse for mm-hmm. that was was a very pure one. But yeah. things went terribly wrong on oh, the movie. Really? His son got killed. Oh, is that when is that when that happened? Yeah, and, and the boating accident. That's right. Oh my God! And Geo Geo had been you know doing the kind of like a documentary on the on the movie and we were at the Kennedy Center in a bunch of rehearsal halls yeah. and some really great work was going on yeah um and after that happened that was it how, that was how it. You, there how was just gonna... no way to to yeah there was no way to hold your head up there was no way to help uh, francis it was just a, oh yeah so that i now disaster. i feel insensitive that's when that's what happened it was that's just horrible happened. Jeez. yeah and then your dad's last movie yeah wow Wait, but how, how old was was john when he did that um 82 oh because that's sort of a beautiful lyrical poetic movie it's a fantastic movie it's great. i think the it's dead. so and it it, it it's got so much going for it, and you don't even know till it's crept up on you the the expanse of this movie yeah. and, and this story. And yeah. it, it all starts very small at a little table, a little dinner table. And yeah. then all of a sudden it's about the world and life and relationships and yeah, the all past and the future. Yeah, I just remember like I like it's one. Of the, I remember w- needing to see it again. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a really beautiful film. And throughout these movies, like, are you are, are you? Do you still like who? So you studied with Fury. Is that her name? I did Peggy Fury. Yeah. And what was her approach? Peggy, I I don't know. It's hard because people have asked me that question, and I can't. I can't be all that succinct about sure. what it is that she did specifically. All I know is that after I worked with Peggy, I felt like I could do it. I felt like I had an approach. I knew how to go a- about a script uh, and an interpretation, and it took the fear out of it for me. Um, 
she she gave me my confidence back. Uh huh. And it was as simple as that, like someone handing it to you on a dish. Because that's well, that's great. Yeah. Why had you mean you just lost it by being in the shadow of of Jack or yes, what? Yes, and also I'd gotten some really bad reviews <laughs> from from, uh, from a Walk with Love and Death, and although. It seemed like a long time ago. Actually, I was still kind of wearing the same wardrobe. It was just a matter of three or four years right. since that clobbering. Right. And um, that that position your father put you in to yeah. get clobbered. <laughs> he poor man. <laughs> I think it must have been as bad for him, worse maybe than it was for me. Were you around when Chinatown was shot? Yes, I was. Were you with Jack? I was. Ugh. That's some... Uh, because like I I don't I I know your dad did some acting, but that role was so fucking crazy. It was crazy, and it was a crazy time in his life because he was divorcing uh, Cece at one. this point. Yes, yeah. and um, he wasn't a happy camper, and you could see the full extent of what my father on fire looked like in that movie. In that movie, oh yeah. man, it's like it, it was such a, a stunning movie. Yeah, I it, can't. You it's know. a beautiful film. I can't say that I, I I understand it that well. There are parts of Chinatown that remain enigmatic to me. Yeah, it was sort of I I I like which parts? I mean, like the like the like the glasses that the oh, right, that right. they find in the pool. You know, right in the what yeah. do they call it? The tide pool. Uh, they have yeah, but what they they have a word for loose ends like that. that oh of, yeah, and. Well, that it, well, the idea was that they drowned him in there, right? Right. That your dad did it with his own hands. Yeah. And the character. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Noah. What was it? Cross. Noah Cross. There was it, that thing was. I guess that's what is that Robert Town script, right? Yeah. So that thing was like loaded up. It you know, sure on, was on yeah. all layers, and then yeah. whatever Polanski was thinking, he just loaded it up more. And it was, it, yeah, it's one of those movies. Everyone talks about it when people gave a shit yeah. about the intellectual, you know, component of movies and how it was really the first film noir since film noir that, like, they took that that genre and just went deep. Absolutely. And it just like, just even with the placement of your father, it, with, you know, given his experience with the old film noirs and that, you know, what that meant. Yeah. You know, all of it was all, it was all very heady and very yeah, kind it of was. amazing. It was for strong stuff. And you were on set sometimes? I was on set sometimes. My first day <laughs> I went to visit, um, I arrived at lunch. And everyone was, they were all sitting outside in an orchard at yeah. this long kind of refectory table. and and uh, The my, orange orchard? The orange orchard. And um, there was a silence, and, yeah. you know, an angel passed. And, and suddenly my father turned to Jack. And we were up at sort of the head of the table. Yeah. And said... Uh, I hear you've been sleeping with my daughter. <laughs> this terrible kind of silence echo. And there's a lot of people there? <laughs> like the full packed table. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then he gave it a you know, a nice a nice moment after that and said, Mr. Gitz. <laughs> good and one. everyone laughed and it broke the ice and it was all good. But it was pretty funny. Oh, wow. And then um 
you know, I, I never like hanging out on other people's sets, albeit my boyfriend or yeah. whatever. I just think- Your dad. No. Yeah. Uh, if I'm not working, I don't want to be sure, there. Sure, yeah. I mean- It's the most extraneous feeling in the world. It's weird, visiting yeah. Visiting somebody's set. Awful. and Because uh, there's all that downtime. There's all that downtime, but worse than that, there's, you know, you don't have a purpose. Yeah, there. yeah. What are Get you doing out. here? Go yeah. away. I will say this, like the your performance, like I've watched, um, I, I believe that um, like Crimes and Misdemeanors is one of the great masterpieces of movies. It's a good movie, yeah. It's it's great. Really great. And you were just so good and so, you know, vulnerable and broken and scary and like, you know, like, <laughs> right there, like, you know, but not, I don't mean broken in a bad way, but just sort of like. Lost. It, oh, it was awful, so heartbreaking. And and lost. It, and it, yeah, and it doesn't. It just goes. And he horribly. gets away with it. It's so good. I think it's a, it's a genius script by Woody. He's he's a master. Um, and uh, it was scary too because I'd never met the man. And um, when you got the part, when I got the part, and I he I just kept, chose you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I kept trying to meet him. Woody has a. A way I'm I'm sure you've noticed of sort of casting the the comers of the moment. You yeah. Know, he 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 goes right to the source of what's of what's working at the moment, and I guess I was you know I was in that. You were an Academy Award winner. We didn't even talk about that. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we will. But but um, I arrived on the set, and it was a rainy day in New York in a very small apartment building or small rooms. Yeah. And he was there with Sven Nyquist, and and the room was crammed with people, you know, moving cables and grips and lights and yeah. all kinds of things. And there was, there was no uh, sort of clear area in which to act it appeared to me you know I in your to, apartment the set yeah, yeah i had to traverse from a bar to a window back to the, the, you know a yeah. couch or whatever and and the place was completely packed so and also it, it's all in one shot pretty much so when i was off camera i was stumbling over lights to kind of come back into the shot it was it was pretty crazy and and we kept on doing it, and I kept thinking, God, you know, I must be really bad. But it was all right. You know, the, the results were, were great. It's, we must have gone, you know, over 25 takes for that initial scene, and I was, I thought, God, I'm going to get fired any minute. With you and Landau? Yeah. Mm. And I'd heard that he'd fired, that Woody had fired Elaine Stritch because she didn't like her jacket. So I was determined to love everything, including that so hideous <laughs> Argyle sweater. I love it. She was casting your part? <laughs> no, 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 no. And some other movie. Yeah. But that was the that was oh, uh, that. Woody's reputation. That huh. If you gave him trouble, you were out of there. Oh, he's got a different reputation now. Yeah, but, you know, it's not a reputation, I, you know, I... I want to talk about. Sure. I just want to talk about his movies and how brilliant, your experience with what yeah, a, sure. a brilliant artist he was. Yeah, is. and well, so when you won an, an Oscar, was that uh, that must have been validating? Highly, yeah, for yeah. for Pritzies, right? So, so you're like you know all that insecurity or whatever you were feeling that had to go away at that point. Um, well, it never goes away. You're always you know, and I think you always. But have you knew to. you could do the job. 
Yeah. Yeah. But you know, still, it's still a scary job. Yeah. And and it is. Yeah. Yeah, you have to be a little scared. Yeah, and like especially for like that that role in in crimes and misdemeanors, which is an incredibly vulnerable role. It seemed it seemed to me that to be in that place must have been kind of like <sighs> it was. It it definitely was. It's so heartbreaking. It's so awful. It's fucking awful. It's horrible to be rejected. <laughs> <laughs> to be rejected and then killed <laughs> and then killed, killed on top of it. And and actually, Woody had written me this really nice letter. Um, when he did invite me to do the movie, saying, "You know, you probably like this because you get murdered at the end." <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. And I like the uh, like like the um, the movie you directed. I I like that movie. Thank you. The the bastard bastard out. out of Carolina. Yeah, because I like for some reason it was odd. I just remember you know buying that book and reading it and being leveled by it. Yeah. And, and the fact that you chose that story to tell was like, I, I thought that was kind of bold and it was kind of great. I didn't really choose it. It kind of chose me. Um, another director was attached to it and I'd never directed before. So when it came, I, I had to give them, you know, it came on a Friday and I had to give them my answer on a Monday. And, yeah. Um, I, it floored me too. I, I, I It rocked me, that story. And I thought, well, you know, I haven't directed before. I'm not keeping that secret from anyone, so why not? And do you you don't want to do it again or you just haven't I've done it again. I right, did you a do movie. One other, yeah. I did a movie which was originally called The Mammy, um, in Ireland about from a Brendan O'Carroll book. He's he's an interesting character. He's he <clears throat> he kind of started off doing pantomime. Yeah. Um but and I like the movie. I mean, I like the book a lot. It's kind of funny and tragic and sweet and sad about a a widow who has seven children who loves Tom Jones. And it, there was something sweet and simple and yeah. kind of before the troubles about right. that film that I was attracted to. Because at the time, everyone was making, you know, serious uh, uh, movies about you know, the hunger strikers and so yeah. forth. So Jim Sheridan's movies, sure. obviously. Um, so uh, it was, it was, it was, a, I, I, I'm proud of the movie, not just uh, because of its own lean merits, but because I had to act in, in practically every shot. And that was really hard, you know. To direct yourself? To direct yourself yeah. and to be, a female actress, you have to go to hair and makeup, all of that. And then you got to check. On, and then you've got to check it. And then you've got to oh, figure lot. out how to keep it all movie. Yeah. And um, and so I, it was a big challenge. It could have been better, but it's got some really nice stuff in it. And then after I did a movie, I did a movie for television that kind of that tanked because it sold it sold, unfortunately, to Hallmark and became a Hallmark movie, which wasn't my intention. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, that's kind of negligible. But you learn these things as you go along. I'd like to do another movie, but it's really hard to direct yourself. Sure. I, I don't think I'd do that again. Yeah, yeah, because you can't really fully focus on the directing. No. you got a million other and things. And everyone going. resents you because you can't tell them what kind of chair you'd like. Or, yeah. You know, I, I don't know. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> Too much pressure? Yeah, a little. Yeah. And the grifters, that was a, like, a, you got, that was a great role. 
A great role. Great. It's a great movie, really. I love that movie. Uh, I loved working with Stephen Frears, who's a master. Yeah. And um, who has this great sort of quiet, inverted British humor. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Kuzak. And Cus- Johnny was so on his game. We we had a lot of fun. And Annette Benning was She's incredible. something else, right? Oh, my God. I went to our first uh, kind of read through on that movie and yeah. I thought ooh I better pull myself together on this one yeah <laughs> this girl is so good and what's the relationship like Wes Anderson uses you a lot yeah I love Wes I love his movies he seems like a very meticulous uh, he's got a very meticulous approach he certainly does like he knows exactly exactly uh, to the T where you're gonna you know just move your hand I would imagine yeah I I, I was in um India doing the Darjeeling Limited. What a wild movie. Uh, yeah. And a, a wild place, too, Rajasthan. Yeah. Have you, had you ever been there? No, never. To India at all? No. I, a, I hate flying, and <laughs> I, <laughs> it took a long time to get there. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. uh, and it's a very mysterious, strange place, and mm. I, I was still sort of in the early thrall of uh, of of Rajasthan when we we had to do this kind of pretty big scene where I come out of a monastery with a bunch of kids and yeah. I'm a weirdo I've I'm <laughs> I'm the mother of these three misfits and right, know, I've become right. a nun and stuff <laughs> anyway I had quite a long speech and and Wes kept doing take after take after take it was like that that experience with uh, Marty and and uh, Woody, and finally I said, "Wes, is something wrong? Am I not doing something right?" Yeah. And he said, "There's a comma after that third word." <laughs> oh my god! Went, oh my god! I should have looked at that. Oh my god! And that was that was the sticking point. That's the precision of Wes Anderson. Are you going to do another movie with him? If he asks, in yeah. a second, yeah, he's. He's got a point of view, and not everyone does, you know? Visually. Visually. And also, I, I think, guess so, a tone, yeah. I think I could in see that. tone, yeah. it, yes, very specific and very much his. Even even his weird animation films have this. Yeah, that's pile true. Of dogs, you know, yeah. have this. Yeah, there's definitely, yeah, he definitely way has. Of being. A, yeah, it, it, it's a tone, and that's a real auteur thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and it's weird because I, it's really kind of stunning how many people you've worked with because you did that 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 one that Clint Eastwood movie Bloodwork. That was a weird movie for me too. I had to be really tough on him, and um, oh, and he a, kept going, "Come on, guy, come on, FBI be tougher, be, yeah, be tougher, be oh, tougher." Yeah. yeah, I was like, "I've got to be tough on Clint Eastwood," <laughs> and not only that, um, yeah. he looked, you know, because I'd I'd been through. You know, quite a good deal of of my father's medical experiences. You know, in and out of hospital, and I'm telling you, Clint Eastwood from the back in a hospital bed with his bony elbows above, uh, uh, you know, above his head on the pillow, yeah. were so reminiscent of my father, and you know, going through. All his numerous surgeries, surgeries and oh, yeah. sicknesses was—it was pretty potent. Mm. 
but he's he's great. He's really gentle and a lovely man. And you know, he'd come up to say something to me, and I'd think, oh my god, he's going to impart something really serious. And he'd say, "We're having lobster for lunch." <laughs> Okay, Clint. <laughs> he plays that's, your father in a movie, great. I think. Yeah, he did in um, uh, White Hunter, Black Heart. Right. Yeah. Peter How do you Fiertel do? Book. Ah, in 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 long <laughs> distance, yeah. it was pretty good. But you know, yeah, it's, it's, I, it's was hard to, to sure. for me to be a judge of that. And then the Adams family—that was a big movie. It, two of them, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. you, that was that must have been a blast. Well, they look <laughs> no. like a blast. <laughs> <laughs> Not so fun. But actually they were physically two of the hardest movies I've ever done just because of hair and makeup and mm. and uh corsets and And it's also like this established character. You had to draw from an established kind of thing Not almost. Really. No, they didn't ask you because no you. one else had, had really done it. Um, Carolyn Jones had done it on television. Right, on television. But right. I didn't have a, a precedent, really. Oh, right. oh, that's good. So I was able to do what I wanted to yeah, do, yeah. pretty much. Yeah. Um, and I love the way I love the way it looked. Yeah. I I love the whole setup, uh, particularly of the first one. And yeah. Working with Scott Rudin, he's extremely impressive. And Barry Sonnenfeld was As a producer, was that what, what was Scott like, though? I mean, like, he was around? He was the most hands-on producer I've ever worked with. Because I, 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 I'm in touch with him sometimes around, the, uh, you know, he turns me on to a lot of theater guests, yeah. and he has me go to plays and stuff. I, I don't, I've never met him in person, but occasionally I get these emails, and I'm like, oh, okay. Like, I know in my mind, I better, better take a look at this. Better obey. <laughs> um, it's not at all because you know he throws his weight around or or, or um sort of paints himself as a, 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 as someone of importance yeah but particularly i think for Barry whose first big film this was yeah scott took care took such great care of him of the movie of the actors of the look of the movie I never was on set that he wasn't on set, um, and yet he never interfered. I think he's just a, an, an amazing producer. And he, he's and he, like the old school guys. And he could, all different been. kinds of movies. All different kinds of movies and all different kinds of appreciation. Yeah. No, I think he's fantastic. So this... You've you've been put in... You've You've been added into this franchise here, this John Wick franchise. This is the- well. I hope so. I <laughs> I hope I'm a, I'm an addition. It's it's a lovely franchise to be a part of so far. And what, what I I couldn't see the movie. I don't think it's done or something. It's fantastic. Is it? It's fantastic. Yeah. It's <laughs> I I don't know. I don't watch a lot of boys yeah. action movies. Sure. But I have to say, this drops your jaw. Oh yeah. I, I, well, for me. Yeah. I'm um. I'm a big Keanu fan. I've loved his work since The Matrixes. Yeah. I find him sort of mysterious and I, I don't know. Was you, he a, as you a, can kind on of, set? Yeah, he's mysterious. Yeah. And you can make him into pretty much anything you want to make him into huh. mentally. Do you know? Sure. He's he's this character is really interesting. He's a sort of hollow, broken-hearted assassin. 
there's something so great about that and <laughs> yeah. and the fact that that these guys do these stunts and and you know there's very little cgi as yeah. far as i could oh, see really no, he does amazing stuff. And you can tell when he walks onto set, you know, you can tell he's like partly broken. He walks with a limp and he, he you know, he looks like he's been beat up 10 yeah. times over by the time he shows up in the morning. And it's because he has. He's he's unbelievable. He'll, he'll show up for like a shot at 8 o'clock in the morning and then he'll be back after you've finished work at 11 o'clock at night to do some Hideous stunt in the rain. I mean, he likes doing it, huh? He loves it. Oh, and 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 Chad, Chad, uh, you know, who used to be his stunt double and is now directing the movies. They have this language, and um, yeah, they're kind of boys with their toys. They're having all kinds of fun. What's your part? I play the director. Of a school for junior assassins. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> yeah, I like my part a lot. I'm kind of Roma Ruska. Not an, ex- uh, uh, an I don't know if it's an expression, not a name I'd ever heard before this movie. And but that's, a, yeah. Roma I mean, Ruska? Roma Ruska, which is, would be sort of Romanian, gypsy, gypsy so Russian. Did you speak with accent? I had to. And. They just, you know, kind of made my deal, and then I had to be in New York all of a sudden, and I, I've i never done a Russian accent. I've done Polish many years ago for Paul Mazursky, but I'd never done Russian, so that scared me. And then on top of that, I was supposed to speak some Russian, so I was in, I was petrified. So how did, how did, you, how did you prepare then? I cried. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, then? and then after I cried, um, Chad and, and Keanu came over to my hotel to see me. And I didn't cry in front of them, I don't think, but almost. And um, and then I kind of had to get on with it. So did you listen to tapes or what did you do? Yeah, I listened to tapes and I, I did a few hours with a with a Russian coach to try and get my... It must be so hard, you know, because I do a little acting, but just to, to, to you know, to choose your, you know, the, the actions of your character, but then to sort of stay in the accent. That's got to be a whole other skill set. It is a bit. And um, and if you're not quite sure, you know, if you're... Yeah, you got to lean in, I guess. you huh? got to lean in and just do it, you know, and throw caution to the winds at some point. What was the Polish accent for? Which movie? Um, was for Enemies Love Story. Oh, I, I, yeah. You know, it's like I was reading about that because I knew I was going to talk to you, but I never saw it. I want to see it. It sounds like such a... It's a really uh, nice film. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of his best films. And uh, it was Lena Olin's first American film. Uh-huh. She's great in it. It's... it's um. I just read the plot, and it sounds like completely compelling. It's and, very beautiful from from Isaac Bashevis Singer. Oh yeah, great. Yeah, and so now that you've done this, and I see you're doing a lot of voice work. That's nice, and yeah, that's a nice job. It is. It's a lovely job. <laughs> yeah, you get to kind of s- straggle in there, yeah. looking like nothing, and you've done a lot of the with, of the Tinkerbell. Uh, what 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 franchise is that? That's the voice of Queen Clarion for Disney. <laughs> you are you you are her. <laughs> That's right. And so, do you, are you going to do any other movies coming up? Hopefully, I um, 
nothing I'm, I'm too sure about yet. Yeah. I've been offered some weird stuff. Weird stuff? We'll see. It's either like, I don't know. My offers are so diverse. Yeah. It's either, would you like to do this movie in Puerto Rico for no money? You won't have a trailer, but it's a great part. Or it's John Wick. I don't know. It, I'm do fluctuating you, somewhere in between. Do you still do those movies? Do you like to do those movies? You no, know, I did a movie last year called Trouble yeah. um, with the writer of uh, Smash, which which was a, a series I did for a couple of years in New York a few years ago, uh-huh. uh, Teresa Rebeck. And yeah, I, I did it because I believe in Teresa's work and and- and it was nice, and I was central to the movie, and I worked my ass off. But, yeah, I did it without a trailer. And by trailer, I mean like a motorhome. Yeah, you know, I get it. I, get, <laughs> like, I, I mean, I've been acting not that long, and, and, and uh, the last – I did a day's work on some movie, and – they gave me like uh, I think an eighth of a trailer. Oh yeah, that's like the triple banger or yeah. some hideous thing. Yeah, it, there was a partition, and yeah. I could hear the other actor. You hear the, the you hear the flush of their lavatory. Yeah, it's I know it's humiliating. It's almost a little better not to have anything because then you go, I'm yeah, free. I'm just going to sit need, over here. I don't need your goddamn yeah, right. John. <laughs> they sent me they sent me back to the city in an Uber. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, all right, yeah. this is a uh, this is the movie business. Consider yourself lucky. That's how things are these days. So if you want to do the thing, then, you know, you have to go along with that. Yeah. I think you have to be game. Yeah. And then, you know, hope that something comes along that pays the rent it's sort of but it's sort of interesting now that like i I imagine that you too as well like when you decide to do some movies you realize like this might never be seen by anybody some you pray will never be seen by anyone (laughs) like which absolutely oh god i won't go into them you might you might (laughs) someone might hear do you do you know i've done some pretty some doozies yeah yeah. But, uh, you know, not really through any fault of my own. We all have to pay the tax, man. Sure. I, I mean, I'm looking at the, the, the breakdown. There, I, I guess there's a few I, I haven't heard of, but a lot of them are, most of these are good movies that people saw. That one with that you did with Sean Penn, that's a, that's a heavy movie. Oh, yeah. That's, a, that's actually a beautiful movie, I yeah. think, The Crossing Guard. And we, but so that, was that one of those things where there was sort of a, you and Jack, a reunion? Yeah. yeah. Um we hadn't seen each other for quite a long time right. when we made that movie and I think we carried a lot of the the baggage from Sure. from our relationship. I don't want to call it just baggage, but the the history it's a of long our time. relationship. You get, you guys knew each other a long time. A long time. And now is it is it just sort of like you're just pals? Yeah. Yeah. You, you kind of live yeah. through it, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's nice, you know, right? Yes. Everything that seems so important. Yes. Kind of fades a little bit. Exactly. And then, like, and then you think, well, we won the war together. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was great talking to you. Oh, me too. I had such a good time. Thanks for doing it. Thanks for having me. Okay. So that was... Uh, it was that was great talking to her. She's so she's so nice. She was a very sweet person. And now I will play guitar. I dirtied it up a little bit this time. I got the full effect of the P90s and the dirty old man, the 58 Deluxe. That's the amp. Fender. Real deal. Uh-huh. 
Boomer lives.